teamwork is great, but not all work is teamwork. And our history of a kind of a vague approach, everything is good if we do it as a team, it's just, that's just not true, right? So what this methodology does is help you isolate where teamwork is going to pay off and where it isn't. Welcome to Actualizing Success. In this podcast series, our in-house advisors discuss today's finance and technology topics with an emphasis on solutions that embrace tomorrow. Hi, my name is Carrie Weckelow, and welcome to our Actualizing Success podcast. On our last episode, we talked about the benefits of investing in gratitude, like its role in strengthening team connection. On today's episode, I am joined by team building expert Carlos Valdez de Pina to expand upon that topic. Carlos has over 30 years experience working to improve corporate collaboration. He has published two books on teamwork and collaboration titled Lessons from Mars, How One Global Company Cracked the Code on High-Performance Collaboration and Teamwork, and his latest book, Virtual Teams, Holding the Center When You Can't Meet Face-to-Face. His books are based on research conducted during his 18 years as an internal consultant at Mars. In addition to his speaking and writing, Carlos is the Managing Principal of Corporate Collaboration Resources, LLC. This is an organization and group effectiveness consulting firm specializing in creating and sustaining cultures of collaboration. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. I'm really fascinated. Tell me a little bit more about your background and what inspired you to get into team building and collaboration. I think as so often happens in our lives, we find ourselves um, drawn into things that we didn't plan on. This was as much serendipity as anything else. So I started my career many decades ago in the theater, actually. I got my first master's degree in in the theater. I thought I would be a professor of theater one day. Uh, Things happened in my life. Things didn't break the way I thought they would. I found myself working in the photography business in New York City. Uh, And it was a small business, really a startup, finding its way in in a period when business growth in Manhattan was really thriving. And for whatever reason, I, I was assigned to be a customer service and salesperson in this young stock photo agency, I was the one who kept noticing when things didn't quite work. And I'd go to the the boss, the founders and say, you know, I wonder if we stop doing it that way and maybe try doing it this way. Would that make things better? And they were usually very accommodating. Sure. Let's try working that way. See if it helps. I, I was without knowing it, I was doing organizational consulting way back then. I didn't know there was a name for it. Um, I did that for several years. I, I left that business and then got hired into a training and consulting firm, a small company called DDI out of Pittsburgh, well-known for, for some of its programs, especially something called Targeted Selection. But I got, I got into training, and I was trained in how to be a trainer, and I was also trained in how to consult. I was delivering programs on management development and, and team effectiveness, among other things. Did that for a while really started to develop a set of chops in that space. Then I got hired by IBM to be an internal executive coach and consultant. While I was there, I got a master's degree in organization development. So my second master's degree is a whole lot closer to what I do than my first. From there, I went to Mars Incorporated, where I would spend those 18 years that you mentioned in my introduction. While I was at Mars, and this is a long walk to get to the answer to your question, I was asked if I wouldn't 
focus on team effectiveness. We were spending a lot of money as a company on external team effectiveness slash team building companies. And they said, you're an internal guy. You seem to know something about this. Would you be an internal resource to some of our smaller businesses that can't afford the expense of externals? So I was the cheap option. I was a cheap date for a while. <laughs> I said, sure, I'll do that. What the heck? And it turned out that I had a real knack for it, that I um, I was learning as I went. I was using some very conventional approaches to team effectiveness and team building. And I was noticing that thing that came up back in my stock photo days. Gosh, this doesn't quite work right. It was a healthy dissatisfaction. And at one point, I was asked to develop some modules for our management development programs at, the, at what was called Mars University, our learning and development function. And they said, you've been doing this. Why don't you apply your knowledge and experience to helping us design these learning modules? Well, I, I did. And um, as part of that, I looked at all the data I'd collected from the teams I'd worked with over years. And I I stumbled upon a couple of insights that proved really helpful. And I then applied those insights to developing a team framework. I worked with teams there and then I continued to work with teams after I left Mars in 2018. Wow, that's an impressive background. And I love how, you know, you just kept flowing in your career. That's really how I've been in my career too. It's when mm. things aren't working, how do you make them better? And that's the best way, right? Because you're fixing a problem in the moment. You've definitely been very successful with that. And when we were talking before the podcast, you mentioned that you were working with finance teams, which oh, is yeah. a lot of our, our listeners. How could finance team really use your teamwork and collaboration approach? Well, the, the approach works with any kind of team, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. a finance team or an R&D team or an HR team. It's been interesting to me that many of my clients at Mars, and I've continued to work with Mars since I left, but many of my clients uh, are, in fact, at one point, all of them were teams from the finance function, various different parts of it. But um, and I've given that some thought, Carrie. Why is it that the finance folks keep coming to me? Uh, and I think it's because what I bring is a process, mm -hmm. right? And Finance folks tend to be very process oriented, right? We've got a, a process for closing books. We've got a process for for tracking expenses. We've got all these processes we maintain. And I think it's that comfort with a fairly prescribed process, a, a set of tools and steps you can follow to get to an outcome that is uh, what you set out to get in the first place. If that makes any sense, it's a little bit like doing a financial process. No, it does make sense because that analytical nature yeah. is what they're focused on. And when you can have the steps, it makes it a lot more um, feasible for them to come to a solution and how that might actually help them, right? Yeah. So that, that makes yeah. perfect sense. No, I don't, I, I don't want to dehumanize the finance folks either. Because sure. once, once they mm -hmm. get into it, they're mm -hmm. really interested in how the relationships work out, right? So the human side of it appeals to them as well. But I think the initial comfort is with the fact that I've got a process that they can they can take and own and run. Right. The, it helps with the buy-in initially. So, Carlos, in your work, you have these six practices for collaboration and teamwork. And for our listeners, those are inspire purpose, crystallize intent, cultivate collaboration, 
activate ways of working, sustain and renew, and clarify your context. Can you tell us a little bit more about these and the psychology behind these practices? Yeah, so it all began with those insights I mentioned I had when I was working with teams. Um, Most team building starts with the presumption that if we improve relationships, that will ignite collaboration, right? That if we work on how people get along, they will therefore collaborate better. I was finding that wasn't necessarily the case. As I worked with teams around the world in a variety of countries and businesses of many sizes uh, and in many cultures, that that relationship approach, it, it, it felt good in the moment, but it wasn't improving collaborative outcomes. Because the barrier wasn't that people didn't trust or respect each other. They generally did. Now, once in a while, trust become, is an issue, and you, you can tackle that pretty head on. But what, the issue seemed to be something else. And it, what we found out was that Mars, like a lot of companies, and um, in almost every function, is looking to hire really good, motivated self-starters, right? People who are good at what they do and who are motivated by hard work and getting results. That makes sense, right? Uh-huh. And what most team building wasn't paying attention to was the fact that folks are drawn to do the thing they were hired to do. They are motivated to achieve in their particular role. So they will not default to collaboration. They will usually default to doing the thing they know how to do. There's an old saying, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's rooted deep in the psychology of motivation. People will do what is fulfilling for them. And collaboration, while it's a wonderful aspiration, is actually kind of complicated and messy, right? Because you know, conflict comes up and there are all these handoffs and you can drop the ball and thing gets messed up. So you, if you want to get it done, you want to get it done right, you tend to default to individual work. So if that's the barrier then the way to address it is you can't, you can't stop that. You've hired all these great individual achieving people, right? You like that. They get stuff done. How do you speak to that motivation? How do you tap into that individual achievement drive and direct it towards the work that actually requires collaboration? Once we figured that out, we got more collaboration, right? And we got it in the places where it was most meaningful for the people doing it. So that psychology of motivation is what's in the background versus the psychology of relationship. Now, you still have to deal with the relationships, yeah? And I'll talk as I describe the practices about how that psychology of motivation then feeds into the strengthening and deepening of relationships, which is part of what makes it so rewarding to work in a team. And I have a question, though, around the individual achievement drive. Can you unpack that a bit? Is that at an individual level? Like I really find that, you know, the more I get to know people and what their individual aspirations, motivations are, you know, that's what, that does help them move forward because I'm speaking to what they need. But if you're at a really large organization, how are you kind of making that work? Well, well, a couple of things. One, it's important to differentiate motives from other things like values and, and aspirations. A motive, as, as defined by the psychologists, is, is, is deep-seated, probably formed fairly early in life, and it's a fundamental driver of behavior. It's outside your consciousness. 
Whereas our values tend to be conscious choices, right? Our values tend to be things we think about and they're meaningful for us, but they are very much in our consciousness. And, and we're, we're working our way up at a, a hierarchy here. So uh, motives are fairly deep and usually out of our consciousness and they shape our behavior. We, all of us have our own set. Some people say there are three or four important motives, achievement, power, affiliation, avoidance of pain is a profound motive, right? Um, relationship, that's, that's the affiliation one can be pretty powerful if you're, if, if that's an anchor for you. But note that affiliation is not the same as collaboration. Just because you're getting friendly with people doesn't mean you can work with them. Ask me sometime to tell you the story about my wife and I, who have been married for 33 years and know each other and trust each other. About, <laughs> Working us, together might not be yeah. as great. <laughs> ask, us about, ask me sometime about the wallpapering episode, that okay. been, which we had to abandon. But, so you got, you got motives now. The nice thing about so you got all these individuals in an organization, maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands, depending on the size, right? How do you discern? Is that I think that's what's at the heart of your question. How do we figure out right. at an individual level? We got all these people. That's where the the team comes in. This organizations are generally sorted out into clusters, teams, groups, functions, departments, right? That's a manageable size group. And the process that I work with teams through uses the fact that they're all together, gathered around some things they have in common, maybe it's accounting, maybe it's financial analysis and planning, you pick it. They all have they all have something in common, typically that's some kind of function. And we then, within the context of, say, eight or nine people, we can have some conversations about what is meaningful for you? What are the drivers for you when it comes to getting work done? You can't do it at an organization-wide level, but you can certainly do it at a team level. Does that make any sense? It does. Yes, it does. Yeah. And so th this this is a process, this high-performance collaboration process is very much um, driven by the team. This is not a top-down, here's what the boss says. This is a conversation that the team has. So for some cultures, if they're much more hierarchical, this may not work for them at a place like Mars Incorporated, which is a very egalitarian, flat organization, as, as I think many modern organizations are. It, it's exactly the kind of thing that works for teams. They love having these conversations with each other peer to peer. So that, that's, that's how it all starts. It starts with the team coming together. So I'm actually going to take these six practices and just quickly go through them. I'm going to turn it around a little bit, Carrie. Okay. We're going to start with clarify context. So remember our job is we're going to execute this mind hack. We want to tap into people's individual achievement drive and direct it towards collaboration. The first thing we need to know is, as a team, what is being expected of? Right? What, what, what is the organization, what are our customers saying they need from us? We got to get that really clear because the achievement drive will always move towards something that feels like it's necessary and important. So the first thing we do is I clarify the context. We clarify the organizational context. Why was this team created in the way it was, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's question one. And that's often in the form of a strategy, right? Somebody's coming to you and saying, hey, here's our strategy. Here's what we need you to do in service of it. Uh, can I use an example here, Carrie? Absolutely. Yeah. I love so examples. <laughs> I've, been working, I've been working with a financial analysis and planning team. And they have a remit that's twofold. The organization has said, look, we've got right now we're a very decentralized organization. Every period, every month, we're getting all this data from markets all around the world, and it's coming in in many, many different formats. Up to now, 
we've been using human energy to consolidate all this different, differently formatted data into a single format that our senior leaders can use to make decisions, right? Um, we need, we need to, we're going to need to keep doing that because we still need to make decisions. So we still need timely financial data, but we also need a group that's going to move us into the future. That's going to create a single set of systems to be used by all our business units, regardless of where they are around the world. So the mandate from the business was keep running what we've got, but use the experience to help us learn how to do it better by using technology, by using AI, by using the cloud and using more consistent tools. That's what the organization is asking them to do. So you got three different functions. You got IT in there, fi you know, the fintech people, financial IT. You've got analysis folks, and then you've got forecasting and planning folks. And they're all working together to try to make a new thing for this business. So that's that's their context. Now, then they have to say, so what really requires collaboration? What's the most pressing important stuff that if we didn't do it as a team, it wouldn't be done as well as it could be done. Once again, notice I'm appealing to that, let's get it done as well as it can get done instinct people have. Right. But I'm connecting it directly to collaboration saying, this will only really be outstanding if we do it together. Now, not everything will meet that bar. There will be a few tasks that they absolutely have to do together to get them right. In the case of this team, and I'm, I'm, I have taken a real team and I've uh, made it somewhat fictional for purposes of this. So I'm not exposing anybody, but there are two big challenges they're facing as a total team. So the organization has said, not just create these tools and processes, but we need you to create a team for the future that will keep doing this work in this way, using these technologies. So they have a job to fill the pipeline for this new financial analysis and planning function within finance newly integrated from different functions. So create a pipeline of talent. And one of the things they're finding is trying to get all these various business units around the world to change their habits around how they report, how they capture and report data is really tough. They're doing it. It's a culture change effort. All these various units have been very independent and autonomous. And now they're saying, yeah, well, not so much. Now we need you to operate in a consistent fashion, regardless of how you've done it in the past. They're getting a lot of cultural pushback. So they have two big jobs to do together. That is culture change and create a talent pipeline. Other pieces of work. So, so in terms of their shared purpose as a team, it's around creating a new culture around financial reporting and analysis and forecasting. That, that's their big job. And then helping fill the pipeline with people. But there's other work that requires collaboration too, but not at the level of the total team. There are subsets of folks who are working on the analysis of that of data, right? And then there's um, another group working on using that analysis to forecast and plan. So the reporting and analysis people are a subgroup and they're going to do some collaboration, but only in a group of three or four. The forecasting and planning people, that's another group of three or four that will focus on that area. So we've isolated two kinds of collaboration. We've got total team collaboration and a powerful couple of reasons to do it. We've got subgroup collaboration with much greater focus than we've had before. And then, of course, we've got individuals also doing their work. Let's push the pause button. We've covered two of these, three of these practices mm -hmm. now. What's clarify context? What's our inspiring purpose? Culture change and talent pipeline. And what's the work, crystallize intent, that also requires collaboration that isn't quite so involving of the full team? 
That's what those first three practices do. We go from the big picture, clarify context, to the total team, then down to subgroups, and eventually to identifying what are the pieces of work that don't require collaboration, which is extraordinary liberating for people. I can imagine that. Right? <laughs> they can do their own work. <laughs> well, well, think about it. I was, yeah. I, I, was, I was at a conference last week, and a couple of, couple of things. The, the pandemic has really given us some insight, insight into this. In the first year of the pandemic, two remarkable things happened. Productivity increased anywhere from 20 to 40 percent. Engagement, for the first time in 20 years, engagement, the way Gallup measures engagement, went up. The, the, the uh, highly engaged employees actually increased for the first time in 20 years. And it was puzzling to people. And pe well, and one of the reasons they suggested, well, no more commute time, right? So we can be more productive because I don't have to be in my car for a, an hour each way or 40 minutes each way. And also, I have more freedom, more flexibility because I'm working from home. Now, that's true for people who don't have little kids running around, <laughs> right? They're not managing school from home. But there, there are reasons put forth for why those two numbers went up. I think it's different. I think the reason we saw productivity and engagement go up is because if you leave good people alone to do what they do well, kind of like what you were suggesting, Carrie, mm -hmm. they'll get the job done. They'll deliver for you. They will. All this happy talk about teamwork. Let's be a great team. We're going to be a super team. Teamwork here, teamwork there. Teamwork is great, but not all work is teamwork. And our history of a kind of a vague approach, everything is good if we do it as a team, it's just, that's just not true, right? So what this methodology does is help you isolate where teamwork is going to pay off and where it isn't. I would tend to agree with letting people be and at Actualize, we adopted remote working long before it was popular and people would just have to go into the client sites. And mm -hmm. what I found over the years is, yes, the good people, they just want to do their work. And so it, it aligned perfectly with what you're saying, what I've seen over the years. And then even now people are more productive because maybe because of some of those other reasons of not commuting or traveling and things sure. of that nature. But I definitely think, um, you know, letting people do what they need to do. And if you want to do something right, do it yourself. I, I, love, I, love, I love that quote. That's so, so true. So true. And so the, those first three, three practices, really, that's how that's what they're meant to do. They're meant mm -hmm. to, on the one hand, get people collaborating around the stuff that they know matters. And so they will naturally be drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Right. It'll tap into that achievement drive and also not force them to or make them pretend like they're collaborating around stuff that doesn't really require it. Exactly. No, that's yeah. a really good point. Well, kind of talking about the last <laughs> last year and a half of our our lives, in your latest book, you discuss the importance of emphasizing teamwork in virtual workplaces. Yeah, yeah. This is a major challenge for organizations uh, with a remote workforce. And now we're going into hybrid a little bit too. Can you explain why you believe this is essential and how companies can achieve a healthy connection despite the distance? Well, the first thing you want to do is those first three practices I talked mm -hmm. about, which is identify what really requires collaboration. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then and then let's devote our collaborative time to the stuff that we all care about. Never have a team meeting where anybody doesn't feel like they have a stake in it. If I if I'm in a meeting where I don't feel like my presence matters or is really material to what we're doing, then we shouldn't be having that meeting in that way, right? So by defining the things that require collaboration, we can then limit attendance to those 
to whom it matters the most and for whom it will therefore be most interesting, most compelling, and most engaging. And when you're working remotely, that gets that's really important because we don't have the the vibe, the buzz of being physically with each other anymore. It's really got to be around, the energy's got to come from the, the co-creation of whatever you're working on. And boy, you, and you know what it's like here. I mean, you've been a part of this. If you're not really engaged in the meeting, there's a lot of other stuff you can do in the background. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, multitasking is oh, a yeah. thing. And you can tell when people are multitasking because they turn yeah. off their video and, you know, yeah. they just disengage. So, right. you know, one of the things we've been doing as well is having shorter meetings um, because in our our meeting um, invites you can choose to do like, so if you want a 30 minute meeting, mm. do 25 or 45 yeah. minutes, 40 minutes, or our meeting is 50 minutes. And I found that that's really helped to streamline things as well. Um, and with the hybrid now that's, that's really um, coming up with offices, you know, they're yeah. what, what we're, what I'm seeing is that, with our clients and what articles that I'm reading is that people really do like working from home yet companies are wanting to have some in person, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you see with the hybrid? What's your take on that? And and how do you see that kind of um, playing out? Well, I I think all the risks that have been called out are right. So Mm -hmm. the, the risk of I'm not going to be, if the people who are in the office are going to be seen more by the, the senior people who are around, right? So our visibility is compromised. Uh, therefore, our accomplishments may not be fully appreciated. I think that's all the right stuff to watch out for. And that we'll end up with a two-tier system of some kind, those who are in and those who are out. We don't want that. Um, a really good article in the New York Times today about about the questions you should be asking your employees about coming back to the office and how they want to do that. And I think we need to acknowledge, Carrie, that at this point, I don't know when this will air, but the Delta variant is 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 still going strong out there. So a lot of people are delaying going back, even in hybrid settings. Mm-hmm. But but when we do, it's going to be experimental. We just have to try some things and see how they work. And every three months, we ought to be stopping and saying, okay, what are the upsides of what we're trying? And where is it hurting us? And how do we need to adapt? That would be my only encouragement. I think that's a good point. And I believe that that reevaluation is important in any type of environment, right? I mean, because, and especially what I've seen too, is if something's not working, that's when you know you need to make a change. So continuously checking in with people. Now, and I'm, I'm really curious, how do you feel like team building is going to work when you have some people remote, some people in the office? How would you recommend making that be collaborative and making sure everybody feels a part of it? Well, so this idea that that we all we we have a bond, we share a common bond at at a human level. So what I described earlier was about how do we create the bonds at the level of the work, right? This is the stuff. These are the tasks mm-hmm. that bring us together. If you leverage that, if you say, you know, these two or three pieces of work are vital for us to do together, let's be together around that work relationships automatically start to grow as you learn about each other through what you do well, what you don't do so well, how you like to work. This is where things like personality uh, inventories can come into play. I see you're more of an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. How can we use those those preferences in a complementary way? I think no matter what we do though, Carrie, um, and I'm like you, I'm reading a lot of articles about this. At some point, you're going to want to come together physically and 
do some stuff in the same space at the same time, right? Synchronously in the same place. When I was working at IBM many, many years ago, uh, we had a lot of global teams, giant global IT company. And my recommendation coming out of that was twice a year is probably ideal to get together. But with that, if you're able to be physically together twice a year, that's actually enough to sustain mm-hmm. the to sustain the relationships and that team vibe, that team energy, um, and you use the interim remote working, however you're doing it, to to keep the work going, check in at a human level. But I'd say twice a year is is, is in in whenever we're back to some kind of use of office space, I would thoroughly encourage teams to think about getting together safely, face to face at least twice a year if you can once a year minimum. Mm-hmm. No, that's a that's a really great point and it actually aligns very closely to what we do at Actualize. We used to have an annual retreat where we got everybody together once a year cuz we're global, we have people in all different states as well. And that yeah really did work well. And what we're doing right now is planning some outdoor activities in the different offices so people can see each other because many of us haven't seen each other and, mm-hmm. you know, over a year. I like that you're saying, you know, at least try to do it one or two times a year and then focus on the remote um, as, as the main piece for right now. Think that's yeah, because yeah. yeah, you, you can't you. really. I mean, team building stuff. The people are doing virtual wine tastings and mm-hmm. virtual scavenger hunts, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of cute and fun. But they they can never replace that Great. energy we get when we're together. That, I, I agree. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Carlos, so much for joining. I, I loved our conversation, and hopefully, we can do it again. I hope so. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Actualizing Success. Make sure to visit us online at www.actualizeconsulting.com where you can explore our service offerings. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred platform. If you've enjoyed what we talked about today, please consider leaving a review and following us on LinkedIn. If you have any questions or would like to share your opinions with us, please send us a note at podcast at We look forward to hearing from you.